Bonjour, mes amis. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Beautiful people, welcome back to part three of three in our trilogy series conversation on enoughness. Am I doing enough? Am I accomplishing enough? Am I far enough along? How do I know when I am doing enough? When will I have done enough? And today, I specifically want to talk about why this question is extra hard if you are an entrepreneur, a creative, a dreamer. And in full transparency, there may be other applications that I haven't thought of today. So I absolutely encourage you to listen, whatever your own reality is, that may be in empathy for someone else in your life and better understanding and more grace. It may be more gratitude for your situation to realize this doesn't apply to you and things are easier for you than you realized, or you are very likely to find your spin for your own life. The past two weeks, you can absolutely listen to after this if this is the first episode you are coming in on, but the three of them really do go together in supporting this big, complex question that is at the root of so very much for all of us. And because it is so complex, we wanted to spend multiple weeks unpacking the layers to truly have some shift and breakthrough and growth and relief and release in this area. So... As an entrepreneur myself and coaching fellow entrepreneurs over the last decade, I touched on this in the PS of last week's episode. I shared a really powerful encounter I had recently where I was so surprised by my emotional reaction to something. And I realized that this was at the core of it. And in speaking to the members of my Elegant Excellence Mastermind, I taught on this even deeper and it really resonated. For an entrepreneur or a creative, this means anyone who has a side job that you're pursuing, you'd like to be able to make some extra money on the side, you're a performer, you're a musician or an actor or a dancer, you are an entrepreneur, a CEO, a founder, all all of the above. We don't have in our work environment, in our creative environment, the structure feedback, or observation of others to give us a guidepost of what is, quote, enough. My husband is a software engineer, and they have a very structured work environment. They do something called the Scrum methodology. If you are familiar, they work in two-week sprints, which means every project is slated to take two weeks. And when they sit down on a Wednesday to plan out their two-week sprint planning, they have listed out all of the tasks they want to accomplish, and every task is given a point value. So let's say each member on the team is expected to accomplish eight points in their two-week sprint. Some person might have one big project that the team has all said, That's eight points. You're going to be working on that thing the whole two weeks. And we all agree you should probably be able to complete that in two weeks. And someone else has 
a three point and a two point and a two point. And so collectively, they've had a conversation. They speak a similar language. They have similar understanding and expectations of what they should be able to accomplish in those two weeks. And therefore, if Jeremy or a member of his team was showing up at the that the sprint, I think it's called retro, where they look back at what they did the last two weeks and then they move into sprint planning the next two. If you showed up at retro and you'd gotten two of your eight points done, you would be like, I am behind and uh, not meeting expectations. (laughs) I am, everybody else thought this was going to take two weeks and it would have taken me two months. That helps me to wake up that I am not as talented as I thought. I am struggling in some way. I am, this is what was expected of the job and I am below that. Or if you come every week and you're getting done what you thought you'd get done, great, you're just meeting expectations. I think that's most of what's happening for, you know, my husband where he's not asking himself on a daily basis, am I doing enough? He knows what's expected in his two weeks. He can track his time. It's a reasonable expectation. And he knows he's going to be able to hit it and and achieve it. Or if you were wildly exceeding expectations, if you like knock all your work out in two days, you're like, "Um, I'm kind of a wonderkind because it takes everybody else two weeks and it takes me two days. So you have some external feedback to tell you where you're at. I think of it like if you go into a workout class pre-COVID when such a thing existed, let's say they're doing like dance choreography and you're standing in the back and you are lost and everyone else is picking up way faster, you start to feel a little panicked, right? Like have you ever had an experience like that where it's like you're embarrassed. You like, you almost want to start to cry. You feel a little bit panicked. You're just like, I feel like I am, everybody else is doing better than me. I'm, I'm in this yoga class and I am struggling. I I can barely touch my toes and everybody else is like bending them up to their back. And I'm like, crap, I feel insecure that I am definitely behind. Or you do the class and you're feeling good and you notice some girls in the back, like really breathing heavy, really struggling. And you're like, you know what? I'm in good shape. I'm proud of myself. I remember when I was in the back of the class there doing that or or this is my very first class and I come in and I'm able to be like, you know what? This is like a beginning intermediate class and I would say I'm at an advanced level. Okay, that's good to know. It's because you're observing the people around you. If you were doing that same workout all by yourself and you would never got to see anyone else work out. You're doing yoga, you're doing the dancing, Aside from the instructor, who you know is an expert, she's been doing it for 20 years, you just started. If you had never seen another person attempt yoga, you wouldn't know, am I supposed to be able to do this pose right now? Or does that come in a year or in five years? Or does everybody come in knowing that? You wouldn't have any of those external, any of that external feedback, which you traditionally do in working out. If you want to get out of debt, I had a girlfriend that was really trying to do this uh, with her finances, and she sat down with someone else, a friend of ours who's really good with money, and they made a plan. They made a plan. He said, this is what is reasonable for you to be able to do with where your budget is. They talked through it. She could track it weekly. She could know, I am not going to get out of, I don't know what her number is. Let's say it was like $8,000. i am not going to get out of $8,000 of debt in the next month. I can see on paper, this is an 18-month plan. 
And an expert has sat down with me and helped me give those parameters. It's the way that in weight loss, you know, sometimes they'll say results not typical. This person lost 30 pounds in three weeks. Small print at the bottom of the photo or the commercial, results not typical. You're like, okay, so they're wanting to tell you, look how quickly your life could change. Uh, legally, we do have to point out that that's very rare that that happens. And so there's sometimes when we can set our expectations and know how quickly should I be able to lose the weight, get out of debt, because there's factual numbers. Other people have done it. I'm in a community. I have a coach. I have a program I can see. When it comes to being an entrepreneur or creative, number one, we have no structure. There's no industry model of what the timeline should be. If you go into the finance world, I have a girlfriend that's in finance, she knows approximately how many years will it take her to go from junior associate to this to this. Here would be the normal trajectory. If she wants to be on the fast track, it might be a little bit like this. But she is not completely in the dark about whether she needs to be there for one year or 25 years to get to a certain level. When you're an entrepreneur, or creative, you have no structure to tell you, did I do enough this week? You don't have your your 8.2 week sprint system like Jeremy does. He knows he does enough every day, every week, every two weeks. He doesn't carry that around with him the way I do every day. Did I do enough today? Should I push a little harder to keep going? Do I need to work a little faster? Are other people accomplishing more? I have to be my own barometer of that. How quickly should I be able to make $50,000 if I'm starting a business? Uh, How many people should I have on my email list a year after I launch? What should my open rate be for my emails if I have this many people on my list? What should my webinar conversion rate be if my product is at this price point? Those are the data questions I get all the time in my Elegant Excellence Mastermind. Because people want to measure themselves against the competition to know what are typical results. Am I ahead, on par, behind? And sometimes we can get those data points, but even there, like I always say to my mastermind girls, compete against yourself, not against an external number. Because that one girl that you heard that told, said she made six figures in her first year, you have no idea how similar or dissimilar her background, her connections, her time, her all the different things. You have no idea if she had an inheritance fund to, you know, springboard all of her Facebook ads where meanwhile you actually launched in debt. You have no idea if, you know, there's just so many different factors. That webinar conversion, you don't know. How long had that person been doing their webinars for? What's their price point? What's their demographic? How much traffic were they driving? Like that, there's all of these things go into it. And I know that there is such a desire to be like, give me the number to tell me, am I ahead, behind, on par? Am I not crazy? (laughs) Am I not remedial? Am I successful at this at all? Am I completely delusional? We are looking for outside structure to tell us, you're doing enough. It's going to be okay. And we don't really have that. Number two, you don't have feedback. You are the boss. 
you are the one you were trying to please. My husband has a boss who has years of experience in his field who would be able to say to him, I think you're weak in this area and you should grow in this skill set. I'd love to see you get better in this area. I think here's a place that you could improve. And he's able to get that feedback all in relevant areas to his work. Whereas in our case, you're the one that you were trying to please to say, is your novel good enough? Are you getting your novel done fast enough? Do you have enough products in your Etsy store? Do you have enough diversity? Is the quality of your Etsy shop good enough? Are you getting enough positive feedback as a musician? How many gigs should you be booking? I don't know anything about becoming a musician. Let's say in my musical theater career. How many callbacks should you be getting? Are you getting enough you know, compliments and, and reinforcement from casting directors or something like that to tell you, I'm getting, I'm getting feedback. Um, in, in last week's PS, I shared that I got feedback and burst into tears. I got positive feedback and burst into tears of relief that I wasn't expecting. And what immediately came out of my mouth to my husband <laughs> through my tears was, I just realized for the last 10 years, and then later I realized my whole musical theater career was like this as well, so it's been like my whole adult life, it takes so much self-coaching and self-analysis and self-faith. And am I, am I overthink, do I think I'm better than I am? Or am I being too hard on myself? Am I not, like, it is exhausting to try to self-coach yourself, but simultaneously not really fully know is this actually good? Is this actually enough? So I'm going to ask the question and try to answer it myself. Is this good enough? Yes, yes, I'm so proud of you. Okay, but do you really know? I mean, who else have you coached? Well, no one. I'm just the voice in your head, so I've only coached you. Okay, so basically you're telling me that you, that I shouldn't listen to you. Okay, but you're the only voice that I have in my head, so who else are you going to listen to? Like, <laughs> It makes you feel exhausted when you realize you're the only one that you're getting feedback from. Now, I want to pause here and say the other caveat to this is that we also tend to get, if you are in a public-facing world, if you have social media, basically, you are also getting negative feedback that is not necessarily about your actual craft skill set. You are getting messages about the fact that someone doesn't like your body. Someone doesn't like your voice. They don't like your political views. They, whatever it is. My husband's getting feedback from his boss, but it is only exclusively about the skill sets that would make him better in his career by the very people that know what they're talking about. Whereas as an entrepreneur and creative, you are very often getting endless feedback from a peanut gallery of people that may not be your audience, may not be your buyer, may have had a crappy day and be taking their issues out on you, may be making commentary on something that isn't helpful. I gave the example to my mastermind girls Early on in my career, I had filmed my style course, Style and Stylability, and I got a woman writing me saying, 
that I gesticulated with my hands too much and it was distracting. And my voice goes up at the end of sentences, which is something that only women struggle with. And it's really a sign of insecurity in what we're saying. And I was like, this is not helpful. Feedback. That that wasn't a rough draft. That was my product. I spent all the time, money, energy, and I had time, money, and energy that I had filming it. It's done. It's in the can. It's out there. This wasn't a rough draft. I didn't ask for your feedback. And this isn't helpful feedback. Helpful feedback would be, I got stuck on step number four. I was confused when you said this. Now that is helpful feedback. But I get that feedback about 2% of the time compared to the amount of feedback that's not actually relevant, not actually helpful, isn't even necessarily about the work that I'm putting out into the world. So when we take the fact that we don't actually have the traditional feedback of a boss and managers and people around to affirm what we are doing. So it's exclusively up to us to have to do that self-coaching. That in and of itself is hard enough when then on top of that, we have external feedback that is critical and muddled and not even from the right people and all of that through social media, blog comments, customer service emails that also my husband isn't dealing with. His feedback circle is very small. And it's all people that know what they're talking about and that are only commenting on the relevant things to his job. They're not commenting on his personal views or his personal life or his personal appearance. It's only the professional things. And they have an, a vested stake because they are his boss. They are his colleague. And they, they've all there's some sort of parameters that they've all been hired by someone versus random strangers on the internet, there's been absolutely no um, no process to say, to filter out and be like, are you actually a voice that has a right to speak into this? So the feedback we get is so often negative, so often off base. What we really would would thrive under is genuine, helpful feedback. But in the absence of that, we only have our own and are, are having to be our own bouncer, so to speak, to say, I don't want to let this other feedback in. And number three, so number one, we have no structure. Number two, we have no feedback to be A lot of the feedback we do get is actually disengaging, unhelpful, and confusing. And number three, we don't get to observe anyone else because we are by and large alone in what we're doing. Now, there's times when you you do book the show and you're in a cast and now you're getting to perform and you're, you're kind of alongside everybody else. And if you were struggling to pick up the choreography, that would be apparent to you. But that usually is the success time when you are proud. You did do enough. You booked the show. You know, you might get invited to a, a writer's program where you, you get to study and work on your plays together. I have a girlfriend doing that. But but she it already proved her enoughness in a certain way that she got accepted into that. So at times we have these beautiful times when we get to work with other creatives. I think it's the real value of being in a mastermind, for example, is that you are in a world where other people are doing what you're doing and you can you can ask those questions to observe. But on a daily basis, you don't know how many hours is everybody else working? 
How focused are they working? How fast are they working? How much are they producing? How much are they doing? How much are they making? All of the things. And I realized this recently. Since we got back to New York and we really have been back in our home and so in a, in a rhythm of Jeremy's worked from home for a year now. We are totally in our rhythm. This is our normal life. We can't remember what really what life used to be like before them. And we're home in our like normal world here, my office, his desk setup, whatever. And I thought, you know, I'm doing a lot better since we got back from Mexico than I have in the last 10 years of creating spaciousness, taking breaks, not being so hard on myself. Really, this quest of believing that I've done enough and and lowering the bar of what enoughness is. And I realized, for example, is having him here helping me with that? Is having another full-time work-from-home coworker, even though we're in different businesses and we're, we're in different rooms most of the day, I'm in my office and he works from our kitchen, but I go out and I get water and whatever, and I realize, is it helping me for example, we started cooking uh, brunch together, and then sometimes I'll sit down and, and I'll eat with him. I I used to never take lunch breaks for like 10 years. I never stopped to eat. And I would just eat at my desk and keep working. And I thought by having him here, if he was out at the office, I would be going back to my old ways, which is I order seamless delivery, and I just keep powering through. So by having another human here who takes actual lunch breaks, is that helping me to be like, this is normal. Normal people take lunch breaks. I, I never really took a lunch break as an entrepreneur because I just, I didn't feel like I had, I had could accomplish enough unless I just kept powering through. I'm stopping work earlier, and I'm wondering... Is that helping a little bit as well, that he, he's not working until six or seven o'clock at night, but when he used to leave the house and come home at that time because he would drone after work and then he would bike home. So sometimes I would keep working. It's like once he got home, I would go, oh, okay, it's time to, to close it up. Well, now I'm ending work earlier because I'm observing that someone else is doing the same. And that really got me to thinking how often... Are entrepreneurs working by ourselves and we don't have anyone to compare to, girl, you're working a lot of hours. You don't take breaks. Like you're, you are pushing yourself so much. And because our underlying fear is that we're not doing enough, we just push and push and push and push. And I think how much we love a glimpse inside someone else's life. People love to hear someone else's morning routine. Um, someone else's beauty routine, a, a day in the life. Those are really common posts on like Vogue or blogs or whatever. They do really well because we want to be a voyeur into anything else, we, anything we don't naturally get to observe in someone else. And I think a lot of that is because there is a sense of like, is my morning routine good enough? Is my beauty routine good enough? Is... I, I want that behind the scenes look. I mean, one, we're just curious people. But I also think it's interesting that it's the things we can't traditionally see that we want to get to observe. I only know what my morning routine is like and the and the person that I live with, excuse me, the person that I live with if I live with someone. I wonder what everybody else is doing. And this ultimately comes down to the fact that a couple of key psychological principles. 
the ego wants to be normal. While you would think that most of us don't want to be like everybody else, we don't want to be average, we don't want to be ordinary, but we do want to be normal. We don't want to be abnormal. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to be behind. We don't want to be weaker than. So, so much of our question is, am I normal compared to everybody else? And as entrepreneurs, we don't have the structure, feedback, and observation to know that. And in other industries, that is the the, the general bubble that you're living in, there is that subconscious support. Our soul also wants to be proud of itself. We talked about this in the previous episodes. The greatest yearning of our heart, I said in the first episode of this, is to feel we are proud of ourselves, to feel we can be peaceful, that we aren't disappointed in what we've done, in what we're able to do, and and we want to feel like we have done enough. Our soul wants to be proud of itself, and our default thoughts are negative. I don't remember what the statistics are, but it's like the amount of thoughts we have every day, those that are negative are just preposterously high for the average brain. So if we don't know that we're normal, then we assume negatively that we're not and beat ourselves up and say, I'm disappointed in you. That's our default assumption. I am probably doing worse than other people. And I think that's why being a creative is so hard. And I think it's part of accepting I think it's helpful to accept and acknowledge that that is part of the inherent challenge and that if you're struggling with it, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It's just part of the thing. For me, when I realize something just is the case, I feel less crazy. (laughs) I give myself more grace because I understand, oh, I, I guess it goes back to the normal. I understand, oh... That's normal. It's normal to wonder obsessively if you are doing enough when you are an entrepreneur or a creative. That's normal. You're not abnormal for doing it. However, that doesn't mean that we want to say, oh, okay, well, then that's the best that I can do. We want to notice that and say, all right, I don't have to beat myself up that that's the case, but I want to do better than normal. How can we have a healthier mental approach to it and acknowledge and notice how much self-coaching your dreams take? And as an entrepreneur, it is full-time. The situation for my husband is he has his own, he has his full-time job, and then he also has a lot of dreams, ideas, projects, side things. So he struggles just as much as I do, even as a man, even as someone with a full-time job, with that same question. Am I doing enough? Am I far enough along? Is this the best use of my time? Am I being productive enough with the time that I have? But the difference he and I acknowledge is that it's 30% of his week. Because his normal nine to five hours, he doesn't have to worry about that. It's his nights and weekends time when he thinks about what he wants to be doing in five, 10 years, all these other things. 
he has the same question. Whereas for me, it's a hundred percent for me. Everything goes together. My Instagram, my book, my my revenue, my team, my leadership, my knowledge, my everything goes into, am I doing enough? Am I living my life purpose? Am I living up to my potential? Is it okay if I rest? Is it okay if I'm tired? Should I be disappointed in myself that I'm not further along? For me, that is pretty much my every waking thought. And we can acknowledge that he and I can relate on the fact that he feels it too. It's just that it's part of his life. And so it isn't as exhausting. It isn't as, it doesn't have the potential to be as soul crushing because he gets relief from it. He has other areas in his life where he knows, oh yeah, I'm doing enough. Go to my job, get good feedback. People appreciate me. I'm given these hours to do my job. Can totally do it. Not super stressful. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds magical, marvelous, and amazing to have some of that parameter. But it simply is the reality of being a full-time entrepreneur and creative. So the best thing I can tell you, if that is you, is that I see you. You are not alone. We are all asking ourselves this question. (laughs) And I have said before, when we come back to that question of, am I too hard on myself? Or am I not trying hard enough? Ask yourself, are 50% of the people in your life lazy in their dreams and just too easy on themselves? Because for me personally, almost everyone I know is dissatisfied. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like they're unhappy with their life, but they want more. They want to grow more. They want to be better. And I can observe in almost every friend I have, areas of growth. And that to me is such a good indicator to say, odds are you're growing too. (laughs) You're making progress too. That you are not lazy. You are not remedial. You are not so far off from living up to your potential because you're you're not, there's just no way that you're the kind of person that listens to the You're Welcome podcast and then just lays on your bed and does nothing with your life. Like you sought out a personal development podcast. If you're watching my Instagram stories, you're you're wanting to grow and be just 1% better every day. That is the archetype of someone that is going to be making further progress in their life. And my hunch, my gut, my belief is that probably every person listening to this is doing 150% of what would be enough and is living in a constant feeling of not doing enough and therefore overcompensating to the point of exhaustion where the effort being put forth is not actually as efficient and productive. We talked in part one that Time is one of the hardest things to judge. Time is where I think we are the most hard on ourselves, our time, our productivity. And a lot of times, I think specifically within entrepreneurs and creatives, it's literally the amount of hours. Am I working late enough at night? Am I going to bed late enough? Am I waking up early enough? Am I working enough weekends? Am I not taking a, a lunch break? It's the amount, the volume of hours. 
And I hosted a workshop recently for my Elegant Excellence Goals Journal users. And I said in that class, the concept of the nine to five Monday to Friday work week, the 40-hour work week, it was developed in, I think, 1925 by Henry Ford with like the Industrial Revolution. Now, prior to that, people were working 100-hour work weeks. So woohoo, we made great progress in realizing, in declaring that 40 hours was enough when we used to be telling ourselves 100 hours. Now, part of that is because we came up with machinery and all of that. However, that was 100 years ago. How much has changed in 100 years? We, like, I don't know, women have the right to vote. Slaves are emancipated. We have the internet. I mean, it's just a myriad. Our lives are completely different than 100 years ago. But every single day when we ask ourselves this question of enoughness around our time, it is based on a cultural expectation that we work a 40-hour work week, something that hasn't changed in 100 years, and was decided by one human being. One dude 100 years ago is the voice that's in our head, specifically as creatives and entrepreneurs, that says, this is how many hours I should be productive for to tell myself it's enough. And then, of course, we also have the messages of so many people in the entrepreneur world that are like, you need to work later. You need to not watch any Netflix. You need to like hustle, hustle, hustle. And I will be honest, I understand that in the beginning of a business, it is like being a single parent of triplets. There's going to be a lot of crying, sleepless nights, forgetting to eat, forgetting where you put your glasses when they're on your head. It's not easy to birth something into the world. So I don't want to make it sound like everyone should just be working two hours a day and you're going to build your dream business. I understand there's a balance there, but so much of that energy is the only way to get there is to kill yourself with all of this hard work. And I don't know, I just, I want to invite you to really question when it comes to your time, where is my definition of enough coming from? Who is who has told me, where did I get this idea that it's enough? And does it feel true for me? Personally, I am observing, this is another thing that I wondered about having Jeremy work from home where I have a colleague that I can just verbal process things to, I'm, I'm finding that I'm walking out and saying to him more often, I am exhausted and it is 1.30. So that makes me feel pathetic because who's so tired they want to take a nap at 1.30? I'm getting eight hours of sleep. I'm eating well. I'm drinking water. I've healed my adrenal fatigue. I shouldn't be someone who's this exhausted at 1.30. However, I wrote for two hours, then I did this other project, then I just taught for an hour and a half. Like, I have to walk myself through how much, how focused, how mentally focused was I for those four and a half hours? How many people are that mentally focused that intently? I mean, when I teach my mastermind, I'm speaking for 90 minutes straight. No one else is speaking. And I'm fielding questions. With the podcast here, I'm talking to you, but I'm not fielding questions simultaneously. I'm scanning questions and going, um, you know what? That's going to take us off topic. So I'm going to scan that while I'm still talking and then I'm going to come back. That's mentally taxing and exhausting. And I'm working on 
saying to myself, you know what? About four hours of really solid mental focus might be my max for the day. And then I can move on to little miscellaneous things or small things. But, and sometimes I'm going to get in the flow, get, you know, just get in the zone and I can go longer. I absolutely have those times where I look up and I'm like, oh my gosh, eight hours just went by. I didn't even, I didn't even think to stop and eat. And that's a great feeling when that happens. But it's because I got in the flow, not because I punished myself to get there. And it's the exception, not the rule. It's not sustainable and feasible every single day. It's maybe an extra push for a season, but it's not a lifestyle. And I realize in hindsight, I lived that way for years and that wasn't sustainable. And I wish that I could tell you, guys, here's the answer. It's four hours and everybody should work four hours and you should move to the four-hour schedule in month 24 of your business. And then it, like, I wish that I could, get, could, could provide for you what we are all craving, which is that structure, feedback, and observation. And alas, I cannot. I don't even know it for myself. But I invite you to join me in asking the question and noticing more. When is my brain tired? What was I doing and for how long? What kind of work makes me feel most exhausted or it feels easiest to do for longer stretches? When is my brain better? The days that I'm more productive, what are all the outside factors that went into that that helped set me up for that success? If I work a four-day work week, how do I feel? Like, do I feel on that fifth day guilty and lazy? Like, is that the story that's coming up for me? Let me unpack that. Why do I feel that way? Like, do I feel right to feel that way? Is that a, a story that I got from culture that is said I should work five days a week? Do I feel inspired to create more? That's what I actually found for myself. I've gone through times where I gave myself a four-day work week. Sometimes uh, I went to the beach on Fridays for like two months in the summer. This last summer, I gave my team four-day weeks, and then I realized with the without feeling obligated to do anything, I was like being so creative, and I enjoyed writing, and I enjoyed creating podcast episodes because it felt like a bonus free day in my schedule, and I actually was still creating. Is If I work four hours a day, how do I feel? How do I feel then going and laying on the couch and processing through the emotions that are coming up? Is it that I didn't work hard enough or was that enough hard work for the day? Was it four super focused hours? And I start to notice after that point, I, I'm being less productive. I start to get cranky. I start to get frustrated. I start to get annoyed. I start to become a perfectionist. I get really nitpicky. You know, I, I don't know what it is for you. I'll share in the PS kind of a broader theme that I'm working on for myself these days, but I want to invite you to question the stories you've told yourself about how many hours, how many tasks, how focused, what numbers and metrics you're going after by a certain date, a certain amount of months, a certain amount of years that you've been in your business. What are your stories about what is enough and feels like enough? Because as I said, my gut says most of us, and again, I don't observe you every day, so I can't be the for sure answer to tell you. Only you can do that. 
But my gut says that most of us are doing 150% of what would be optimal. And it's not making us better. It's just making us more burned out. And it's not even making us more successful, but just more strained and stressed in the process. And I know that it is such a fine line because there are factually so many things we have to do to move a business, a, a, a creative dream forward. But also paired with that are scarcity beliefs, our thoughts, our self-judgment. And I have such compassion for us because to go back up to the top, we don't have the structure, feedback, or observation to guide us. We only have ourselves. And we have one another if we join a community, something like a mastermind. When we work with a coach, we may get some of that outside feedback. But still at the end of the day, we predominantly have ourselves. So let us be sweet, sweet fellow creative entrepreneurial sojourners. So loving, generous, kind, compassionate, spacious, gentle with ourselves. Let's question what enough really means and make sure that we are defining that in a way that is going to set us up for success and fulfillment and to thrive and to love the life we're living now, not be exhausted in the journey to achieve something and then. Because that's what this whole conversation over the last three weeks has been about. If we say, I'm going to be happy then, once I have done enough, the carrot just keeps moving. And test it out for ourselves more often to say, I did enough today. That was enough. I'm really proud of what I did. That was good work. I did some good things today. I did that one thing. That was hard. That was hard. It actually felt easy for me, but I know it's a hard thing. That was great. And now it's time to rest. And now it's time to rest. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately. I have declared 2021 my year of boredom, which I am hesitant to share because I am very well aware that the majority of people could not afford, would not have the freedom, option, and opportunity to simply declare a year of boredom. And I could not for years. I was so exhausted, stressed out, barely making it happen in my business. Now that I am 10 years into business and have spent the last five years doing so much of this deep work of elegant excellence and essentialism and ownership, and because I don't have a child, I don't even have a dog, if this isn't something that you can uh, join me in, I can't invite you into it fully, but I trust that there will be a nugget here today or in future experiences that I share from it that will bless you and that someone needs to hear. So I will share more as I learn throughout this year, but here's a few things. Number one, I am asking myself this year, how do I feel being bored? What guilt or laziness or stories comes up for me because I have been so wired for so many years to be so productive? How do I feel being bored where I could do more? 
I have the time spaciousness to choose to do more, but I have decided I did enough. And I can be very bored tonight. I can be very bored this weekend. Question two, how much am I drawn to wanting to be productive? I got into playing the Sudoku app on my phone and then I was holding my phone in bed and I wanted to get rid of that. So I ordered a book, uh, like a printed book of Sudoku. But I'm aware that even there, there is a story. Number one, I can finish a Sudoku puzzle. Like if I'm going to read a novel, it's going to take me a couple of weeks traditionally to get through it. But I can, I get the little dopamine hit of finished, finished, finished. I can do multiple puzzles back to back. And it's good for my brain. So that feels productive, right? I feel like I'm doing something more productive than when I watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Now, obviously that's not bad. It is good to do brain exercises. It is fine to like play little games and finish them. But I just notice it. I just notice I do get a little dopamine hit of being productive here, of being smart, of, and I actually realize in doing the paper ones, I'm not as drawn to it because when I play on the app, it tells me what my ranking is. And I want to see at the end that I am in the top 16% of people who have played that puzzle because that makes me feel good. I, I did enough. I did it fast enough to be in the top 16%. When I'm just doing it on my paper planner, I'm like, I'm not getting that hit of reassurance and affirmation. I'm not getting that feedback about how good I am. So there's not there's not a number to chase. There's not someone to compete with. I'm just noticing that. And number three, if I have more time, do I do the things I believe I would do? I talked about this in one of the past episodes in this series that I always had this dream of if I lived in Bali, the kinds of things that I would do, this vision of if I had a life with more spaciousness. And I am living that out in my own living room, basically still in quarantine life because there's just not a lot to go out and do. And so without having to go halfway around the world, literally, and completely change that, I've realized I can do it right here, which again, I'm well aware that I am affluent and abundant in being able to create that spaciousness. But I have that now. And drum roll, please. So far, I don't do the stuff I thought I would do. I tell myself I'll meditate. I'll do yoga and work out. I will read more nonfiction books. I will watch more documentaries. And I don't do those things. I've watched Bridgerton and Emmeline Paris and caught up on the last three seasons of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And I've Pinterested a bunch. I have uh, Pinterested to decorate our future home one day. I have researched travel um, options of future places that we want to go. I'm not, uh, I'm not watching the documentaries. <laughs> They feel they feel heavy. They feel kind of like a downer. Um, my brain still feels tired at the end of the day. And so I'm having to like learn something as opposed to just get escapism. So I don't have the answer yet as to why. But it is helping me call out the ideal that if I had spaciousness, I then would be 
fill in the blank. If I had enough time, enough space, then I would be happier, be more of the person that I want to be. And that's the ethos of what this whole series has been about is this fallacy that if we had enough, then we would be happier. And I'm realizing the time and the spaciousness is not actually the enemy of what I want to do, even if I have enough of those things. I'm still not doing what I think I say I want to do. So if if the time and spaciousness is not what I need, then what would me would make me want to do those things? Um, one of my thoughts is, am I still not rested enough? Which is very plausible. I've been sprinting for the last 10 years in my business. I acknowledge that I do work harder than most people, that most people are not able to make a business running and build a multi-million dollar business off of nothing and a myriad of other things. My career before that in musical theater was very hard. I was working a million jobs, surviving in New York City. So one month, we literally, hmm, six weeks maybe we've been back from New York. I mean, six weeks of a new season is not going to make up for an entire lifetime of running really hard. So maybe I will report back to you in a few months that after that time, after I was like, you know what? I never, I wouldn't normally let myself binge multiple shows back to back. And now that I let myself do it, I got that out of my system. Maybe I need to binge on all the sugar before I'm like, I'm kind of craving some vegetables right now. I'm kind of craving the depth of a documentary. I don't know. We'll see. My other question is, do I still spend so much of my mental space learning, pondering, creating that my brain is not as rested as I think, even though I'm allowing myself to work less hours and take on less personal projects and rest more? Am I still in that time learning about social justice on Instagram and and pondering why that person was triggered in that response. I mean, guys. <laughs> so I was watching this episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and Kylie and Kendall got into this huge fight and it lasted a month. They like, didn't speak to each other for a month. I have thought about that fight so much because it's what my brain does. I'm like, what is it? that Kylie, that, that Kendall was actually so triggered by. Her actual story, because, you know, she said this, and a previous time she said that, and a previous time she said that, and I feel like altogether it comes back to the fact, I'm gonna tangent for a second here, it comes back to the fact that Kim, Chloe, and Courtney, the oldest three, are super close. And then she has Kylie. But it seems like Kylie is really close to her friends. She's kind of a homebody. She has people come over all the time. Whereas Kendall's always traveling the world. So Kendall, she Kendall's the only one that doesn't live in Calabasas, right on the same street. And she's off traveling the world a lot more. The three older sisters all work together on the show. So she's the most disconnected. And Kylie's who she's closest to. But Kylie is actually lives on the same street, sees the mom all the time, has the friends over. So I think Kendall feels left out. So then there's this situation in Palm Springs where Kylie gets something that that Kendall had told she could... Kendall didn't have any clothes. Courtney told her, you can wear my clothes. Then she goes in to put on the clothes that she wants and it turns out Kylie's wearing the outfit instead. Sounds pretty silly that she gets upset about that. Unless you can unpack... She feels left out. She feels not thought of 
and she feels like the the other sisters are closer. So this is just a tangible moment of that coming out. Why did no one in the family have enough insight to be like, hey, Kenny, let's sit down and talk about this. I get why you felt triggered about that. It's not about the stupid outfit. I get that. You felt triggered. And then like, there was a bunch of different things like that. Guys, I've spent hours thinking about this, not because I actually care about the Kardashians, but that's the way my brain works because I'm fascinated by humans and I'm fascinated by why we get into fights and how we get misunderstood and all of this stuff. So is my brain still investing that kind of energy often? And I'm not honoring that. I'm not honoring how much other thinking I put into it. And that when I truly want to just shut off, I want to shut off and I'm working harder, you know, than I think. Or number three, do I just not want them enough? Do I want to be someone who watches a lot of documentaries and watches more nonfiction books, but I'm just actually not that person? That's also definitely plausible. Maybe I could set up every single thing in success for my life and then be like, I don't, I don't know why. Maybe I will never know. I will, maybe I will never be able to explain why the frick am I not learning about all the things in the world that I say I want to learn about. I don't know. And again, I am so very aware of how blessed I am to be even able to choose this season. And if you feel far from that, I hope that that perhaps I can, you know, pass back just the question of what if you had that time? Are you sure, as we asked last week in our questions, are you sure it really would be enough that the time and the spaciousness would be enough to do the things you say you want to do and feel the way you want to feel and, and achieve the level of happiness? What if it didn't change or create the things you envisioned it would? And you've spent the last 10, 20 years telling yourself, one day when I have more time, then I will be happy. One day when the kids are out of the house, then I will have enough spaciousness, time, whatever, to fill in the blank, maybe it's not true. Maybe, as we've been asking ourselves this whole series, we are focused on the idea of something that will be enough. And truly, there is a point at which, as we said in episode one, you cannot have enough water. You can have no, you, you cannot have enough clean water. You cannot have enough money to buy groceries. There are absolutely those metrics. But once we have surpassed that, are we chasing things when actually it is our thoughts and our feelings that have to be enough right now or no effort and energy that we put forth is ever going to be? Do we actually have enough within us right now if we choose it. I would genuinely love to hear your thoughts on this. So please come over, leave a comment below my latest Instagram post, whatever it is. I see all of those and join me over in Instagram stories as always, where we continue to hang out daily and have more of these conversations. I am so honored you are here and that I get to be a small part in encouraging you in whatever you are setting out to accomplish in the world. I'll see you over there soon with grace and gumption. next Wednesday.